Welcome to the Forward Church Weekly Podcast. This week's message from Lead Pastor Neil Krauss is from the series Church Hunters. For more information about Forward, giving, or to request prayer, visit www.forwardchurchfamily.com. All right, well, welcome to Forward Church. I'm so glad that, that you're here to study God's Word with us. We are in week five of our Church Hunters series where we're studying Second Thessalonians and we're learning about what God says His church should look like. You know, I read a fascinating study the other day about um, smartphones. And the study that I read said that on average, we check our smartphones 80 times a day. 80 times a day, we're grabbing our smartphone and we're looking at it and thinking, did somebody text me? Do I have a message? Is there a phone call that I may have missed? Has anybody liked my post that I put? Is there somebody, has someone tagged me? And we tend to look at them 80 times a day. And I think in some cases that might be a low uh, um, average. You know, some of us, we, we look at it and depend upon it a lot and we find ourselves picking up our phone even whenever we don't really need to. It's almost as if we've become obsessed with these devices and we've allowed them to rob us of some experiences in life. I saw a revealing picture and I wish I could have found it because I wanted to show it to you guys. An article that I read had a picture in it and the picture um, was this group of people there was hundreds of people and they were getting the opportunity to meet someone famous there was someone famous that was coming out the, the area was roped off and this person was standing right in front of hundreds of people and they had an opportunity to talk to them and meet them but every single person in that crowd was looking at the person right in front of them like this every single person in this picture was looking at their phones while a human being that they wanted to meet was standing three feet from them and it's amazing how we have gotten so focused on looking into these things and it's almost as if we're missing out on real things and weighty things and we're looking at a screen. It's almost like we're missing out on part of life because we're caught up looking at it through a filter. Now, I'm not completely bashing smartphones. I have one, it's here in my hand. It is a great asset sometimes. I read the Bible through my smartphone every single morning. There is an endless supply of Bible studies that I can get on my smartphone and I can look at God's Word, read God's Word, study about God's Word every single morning. And I do that for my quiet time. At any time throughout the day, no matter where I am, I typically have my smartphone with me and I can access the Bible no matter where I am and I can read God's Word. But for me, something that I have learned, something that I have learned for me is that there is nothing quite like actually turning through the pages of a physical Bible and having God's Word in my hands and holding it. Sometimes after finishing a Bible study on my phone, I feel like I still have missed something, like I'm looking at a reflection through a device of, uh, of the real thing, and I'm not necessarily catching the weightiness of God's Word. Now, certainly God's Word still has the same power has the same power whether it's on a screen or whether it's on a page. It can still take root in my heart, but there's just something about literally feeling the weightiness of this holy word in my hands as I read it. So I'm going to ask you for today at least to, to put your phones down, your device down. Some of you, I know that's going to be difficult because you're, you're used to it, you're comfortable, you can get to the verse you want to really quickly by tapping on the screen. But I'm going to ask you to grab one of the Bibles that's under your chair. If you didn't bring your Bible, grab one. There's enough Bibles in this room for everyone here. Grab one of those, and I want you to just hold it in your hand. I want you to feel the weightiness of it. 
You see, there is a weightiness to God's word. There's an importance of, of holding his word in our hands and cherishing it. You know, one of my most cherished possessions is this right here in my hand. If you were to quiz me and ask me, hey, if your house is burning down, your kids are out safe, your dog is out safe, what's the first thing you're going to grab? One of the first things I'm going to grab is my Bible. Now, yeah, we might want to grab the family pictures. We might want to grab some important things like that. But I'm going to grab my Bible because it's that important to me. And, and I cherish it. And I believe that this is God's holy word. So if you would turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 in that Bible, it's on page 990 of that Bible that's in your hand. I'm going to ask you to stand with me and hold the physical Bible in your hand. Let's lay our eyes physically on the text and ask God to bless the reading and the hearing of his holy word, to lay the weightiness of his word of these verses, not only in our hands, but to put them through our eyes, into our mind, and into our hearts as we read from God's holy word. Here's what it says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. We're going to be starting in verse 1. God's word says, Finally, brothers, Pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. For not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord about you that you are doing and will do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. You can be seated. You see, there's something powerful and weighty about having God's word in our hands and reading it and for the first two chapters of this book Paul has been laying out non-negotiable items for the church to follow kind of like when we're shopping for a house we've talked about you know we have this list of non-negotiable items that we feel the house that we buy must have we want a fenced-in yard because we have pets we want a certain school district because we have kids we want hardwood floors because we have allergies we have certain non-negotiables that we put in when we want to purchase a home well when we're searching for hunting for a church home there are non-negotiable items that God's church must have as well and that's the whole premise behind Church Hunters, this series. Now, if you've missed any of this series, you really need to subscribe to our podcast. You need to go, you need to listen, go back and listen to the first four weeks because there are many non-negotiables that we are to be looking for in a church. Here's a quick list I'm going to run down that we've talked about in chapters one and two. The church should have people with genuine salvation. The church should have people with a growing faith. We should have generous love. We should have a hope that's grounded in Jesus Christ. We should have a God-centered mission, not man-centered. It's got to be focused on God and His mission. We should be celebrating the return of Jesus Christ. We should not be easily led astray. We should recognize that Jesus and Jesus alone is our hope. We should preach the truth. And not only that, we should love the truth. We should live victoriously because we have victory in Jesus. We should stand firm in our calling, stand firm in the word of God, and stand firm in the hope of Jesus. That's a quick rundown of the last four weeks. And today, we are learning four non-negotiable items for God's church where Paul is now beginning to close out his letter. He's starting to wrap it up. And what he shares now may be the weightiest principles that he has shared so far because the impact and weightiness of these non-negotiable items today is so big that when we see these items in the church, God does amazing things. So it's going to be weighty what we talk about today. And Paul comes to the end of his letter, and in verse 1, he says, Finally, brothers, pray for us. Pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you. Non-negotiable item number one, 
is a church that prays. The importance and the weightiness of prayer. Paul says, pray for us. Pray for us. Listen, one of the most powerful and weighty things that we can do as a church is to pray, to gather together and to pray, to be prayerful people. Not a church that prays, but a praying church. That's non-negotiable item number one. This is what John Phillips said in his New Testament commentary. He said, prayer can place us in a village in Africa or in a hut on the Amazon. It can put us in a peasant's cottage or a royal palace. It can sit us alongside a suffering saint or raise a roadblock in the path of a scoundrel. It can do its work in the heart of a seeker at the close of a service. It can change the course of empires. It can put to rout spiritual forces of wickedness in high places, and it can bind evil spirits and set their captives free. Prayer links us with the throne of the universe. It connects us with the mind, heart, and will of God. You see, prayer is such an important part of what we do. So are we prayerful people? Are we spending time with God in prayer? You know, Gary said it really well a little while ago that some of us might think, I don't know how to pray. I'm not sure how to pray. How do I do that? Well, there's really, there's really no exact way other than submitting yourself to God and spending time with Him and talking with Him. It's a conversation. It's time communication with God, with your Creator. Because here's the reality. He's not just some God that's out there on the other side of a screen somewhere. He is a real and relevant God who wants to have relationship with you and to stand right in front of you and spend time with you. And when you spend time in his word and when you spend time in prayer, it's a matter of talking to God, spending time with him, listening to God. So are we people of prayer? I think we need to ask ourselves, do we grasp the weightiness and the importance of prayer? Two of my favorite books on prayer are written by Pete Gregg and his book titled Dirty Glory, Go Where Your Best Prayers Take You. He says this, he says, the rusty hinge of human history turns out to be the bended knee. I love that statement. I love that statement because every major revival in history can be traced back to a group of people taking a bended knee, beginning on their knees before the Lord God Almighty and crying out to Him in prayer. Every single revival can be traced back to that. You see, history turns. God does amazing things through prayer. That's precisely why Paul tells the church here to pray. He says, pray for us. And then he gives a few specific ways to pray. In verse 1, he says, pray for the word of the Lord to be proclaimed. That's why he gives what to pray for. Pray for the word of the Lord to be proclaimed. Paul is asking them, pray that every hindrance to the proclamation of the gospel be removed so that they could reach as many people as possible. Now church, that is a prayer that we implore you to begin praying for this community that God would remove any kind of hindrance to his gospel speedily moving through this community. We desire for the word of the Lord to speed ahead in this community, that, that salvations would happen because of the spread of the gospel. And that only happens if we are willing to pray. If we will come before the Lord and we will ask him to remove the barriers so that his gospel can be spread throughout this community. So we need to pray specifically that every hindrance to the proclamation of the gospel would be removed. I want you to hear this. Satan will use anything he can get his hands on to hinder the proclamation of the gospel. He will do anything he can to try to roadblock the gospel being presented in this place and throughout this community. Paul, and whenever you do a study of his life, he was hindered in attempts to share the gospel many times. He was hindered by the hesitation of the suspicion of the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. He was hindered by imprisonment. 
He was hindered by shipwreck. He was hindered by false brothers. He was hindered by false teachers. He was even hindered by demons trying to stop him from proclaiming the gospel. So listen to this. Satan is not going to allow the gospel to be proclaimed without a fight. He's going to try to stop it. He's going to do whatever he can to try to trip us up and stop us from proclaiming the gospel. He will do whatever he can. And that's why we must pray. We must pray for God to remove those hindrances because prayer is the only power that can clear away every hindrance and every obstacle so the gospel can be preached. And I know this is weighty stuff. It's important for us to grasp. And in 1 Corinthians 16, 9, Paul said this, A wide door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. Here's a biblical truth we need to understand. Wherever God is working, Satan is lurking. Wherever God is working, Satan is lurking. And we've seen God working in this church. We've seen God working through this church. We've seen miracles happen. We've seen marriages restored. We've seen salvations. But wherever God is working, Satan is lurking. He's trying to hinder the gospel being proclaimed. And God's word says, for the gospel to speed ahead. And I love that imagery because nothing will slow down the gospel of Jesus when the church is praying over it. See, that's a reality we need to understand. If we feel like, wow, the gospel's not advancing kind of like we thought it would in this area. Wow, the, the church maybe isn't having an impact that we thought it would have. Well, then that means we need to start praying. That means we need to get on our knees. That means we need to be praying for hindrances to be removed. Do you pray regularly for hindrances to be removed from this church sharing the gospel? Do you pray regularly for hindrances to be removed for you as a Christian to go share the gospel with your neighbors, with your coworkers, with your friends? You see, he's telling us how to fight this battle, and he's saying, you pray. You pray for those hindrances to be removed because wherever God's working, Satan's lurking. So we need God's power to prevail here. So please, as Paul asked, pray for your church. Pray for your church and so that the gospel would speed ahead in this community. That's our desire, that the gospel would speed ahead, and that's my prayer. May the gospel message speed ahead and be honored here through Forward Church. You see, every second Wednesday, the elders of this church, we gather together and we pray together over this church and over the community and prayer requests that we know are needed. You know, you can go in that room right back there in the corner and there's a prayer wall. You can write on a piece of paper and hang it up and you know that the elders are praying over that and other people are praying over that. But I would say we, we've got some growth. We've got areas of growth. We could be much more prayerful as a church. We could be praying a whole lot more. You know, we get some prayer requests, but we don't get a whole lot of them. If you need prayer, you need to let us know you need prayer. We have a prayer team of people that are praying over, over you. We have people that pray for you during this service. We have people that are praying for hearts of those that haven't accepted Christ yet, for hearts of those that are hurting. And that's what we're supposed to do, is we're supposed to be praying so that God will do His work. And as we pray, Paul says we're also to pray for the messengers to be protected. So here's another thing we should be praying for. Verse 2 says, And that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not all have faith. See, here's another reality. If Satan can't stop the gospel message, which he can't, he can't stop the gospel message, but if he can't do that, then what he's going to do is he's going to try to stop those who proclaim it. He's going to be in an all-out attack. And sometimes he uses discouragement of those of us who are trying to share the gospel. Sometimes it's fatigue. He wants us to just get worn out. Sometimes it's frustration. Sometimes he uses temptation to sideline Christians 
so that we can't share the gospel more effectively. Sometimes it's a lack of resources so that we feel that, well, we just don't have the resources to share the gospel like we would like to. Sometimes he uses success and affirmation that lead to pride, and then that can sidetrack the sharing of the gospel. You know, it breaks my heart, but pretty much weekly we hear of pastors being disqualified from the ministry because they fell to a temptation. I, I go through a certain website where I see Christian news and things that's going on, and a couple of weeks ago there were four megachurch pastors, like in the same week, that stepped down or resigned or got fired from their church because of t- falling to temptation. Now, I don't believe that's because they're terrible people. I don't think badly of those men that had to step down. Most of them had genuine hearts to serve the Lord. I believe they had good intentions to get into ministry and to share the gospel. But I also believe it's because Satan is in a full-on attack mode to take out every single messenger of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He wants to trip you up. He wants to take you down. He wants to take you out. Wherever God is working, Satan is lurking. Paul acknowledges this, and he says, Pray, pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not all have faith. So you need to be in prayer. Be in prayer that the hindrances to the gospel will be removed and be in prayer that God would protect you and protect your church family and protect your your pastors and the people around you, all of you who are sharing the gospel of Jesus because not all have faith out there and there are dangerous enemies to the gospel everywhere and they're just waiting for an opportunity to take us out and to slow down or to stop the gospel from speeding ahead. You see, prayer is the key we need to access the power of heaven to help us. In Revelation 3.7, we're told that what Jesus opens, no one can shut. What Jesus shuts, no one can open. Therefore, I would say let's pray for Jesus to open doors to moving the gospel speedily through this community and beyond. And imagine what could happen. If a group like this got together and we began to say, we're going to pray specifically, Jesus, would you open doors for your gospel to speedily move throughout this community? Imagine what God could do. God, would you remove any hindrances from the gospel being proclaimed throughout New Albany and southern Indiana and beyond? Imagine what God can do through that. You know, you might be wondering, well, well, why doesn't God just remove those obstacles himself? Why do we have to pray about them? Well, that's a good question because God could remove all the obstacles himself. However, he has chosen the church. He has chosen you and he's chosen me. He's chosen each of us who make up the church to be the vessels through which he spreads the gospel. Do you recognize what an honor and privilege that is that God has chosen us, his followers, to advance his gospel? And he has chosen to use us and he has given us a tool that empowers us for that task. That tool is prayer. That is why prayer is so important to us. That is why prayer is effective because God has said, I will use you. I've chosen to use you. And if we ask him to remove those obstacles and to protect those proclaiming the gospel, that's what he'll do. So first of all, we're to pray and we're to pray fervently. And when you pray, secondly, you must trust. You see, I think that the prayers of the church today have lost a lot of power because when we pray, we don't necessarily expect God to do what we pray for. We don't necessarily trust that God is going to do anything. We tend to pray timid prayers. 
And we kind of wonder, okay, I'm going to pray this, but, you know, will, will God really do that? God, I'm praying that you would just blow open the doors to your church and grow this church because this community is reached with the gospel of Jesus. Speed the gospel ahead. But then we wonder, but will God really do that? Does he want to do that? Will he use us to do that? Yes, he will. If we gather together and we're united in that, God will do amazing things. Verse 3 says this, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. Do you believe the Lord is faithful? Non-negotiable number two, a church that trusts in God's faithfulness. We're going to be a church that trusts in God's faithfulness, that he is going to establish and guard us against the evil one. Paul says the Lord is faithful to ground you and to guard you. He's faithful to ground you and to guard you. God doesn't keep his people from the difficulties or the diseases or the disasters of life. We know that to be true. As Christians, we still face difficulties in life. As Christians, we still face diseases in life. As Christians, we still face disasters in life. What God promises us is to ground us in those difficulties, to ground us in those diseases, to ground us in those disasters, and to guard us in those difficulties, diseases, and disasters of life. Like we talked about last week, God's firm foundation being established in His Word, it grounds us and gives us a firm foundation against the storms of life. And God is the one who draws the line that Satan cannot cross. God is more powerful than Satan, and He tells him what he can and cannot do. If you look at Job chapter 1, verse 12, it says, And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. You see, God told him what he could do. God put limitations on what he could do. God told the specific limits of what he would be allowed to do to Job. And Job suffered a lot. When you look and read through the book of Job, you find out that he suffered greatly, but God still grounded him and God still guarded him. God's grace was sufficient for him. And God's grace is sufficient for you in the difficulties and the disasters and the diseases of life. At the end of his life, Paul testified to the truth of God's faithfulness. Paul suffered a whole lot, and he knew that God could be fully trusted. In 2 Timothy 4, 16-18, Paul said this, At my first offense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. Everybody deserted him. But he says, May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. You see, the Lord fills his children with internal spiritual strength. The Lord strengthens us from the inside out and he grounds us in his word. And at the same time, he shields us from external attacks. So, the Bible's telling us, Paul's telling us that we must pray fervently, but we must trust fully as well. And then our next non-negotiable is this. We must be a church that obeys completely. Verse 4 says this, And we have confidence in the Lord about you, that you are doing and will do the things that we command. Paul wanted them to continue in the pattern of obedience that they've been exhibiting up until this point. They had been doing the word of God, living the word of God, but his confidence, you see, is not in them. Paul's confidence here is in the Lord about them. Big difference. He says, we have confidence in the Lord that you are doing and will continue to do the things we command. My prayer is that we be set a forward church, that there is confidence in the Lord that we are doing 
the things of God, that we are doing what God commands. Now, I know obedience is a difficult word to swallow. It's one of those words that we hear and we think obedience. We think I've got to follow all the rules. I've got to do the checklist because we also have a rebellious nature. You know, we, we tend to not want to be told what to do. So obedience, that kind of rubs us wrong and we get frustrated with the ways that we fall short. And we know that I've tried obedience and then I fell short and then I've, I've failed and, and I just can't seem to get that right. But the beauty of the gospel is this. With the Lord's help, with the Spirit of God living inside of us, we are enabled to obey God's commands. When we lean on God, when we look to His Word, when we believe in Him, remember, meaning that we follow Him, then His Holy Spirit resides inside of us, empowers us, and strengthens us to then obey His Word. It's when we stray away from that that we begin to fail and fall short. And here's the reality. We all fall short of God's glory, but thank God the Lord for his Holy Spirit that lives inside of us that we gain salvation through the perfection of Jesus you see it's Jesus that perfects us not our works or our ability to live up to what we believe we have to live up to but this is a weighty word because there is a challenge for us to do our best to strive towards what God wants from us and that is full obedience so check out what Jesus had to say in Matthew chapter 7 verses 21 through 23 and this is a weighty challenge uh, as he speaks to us he says not everyone who says to me Lord Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven that's a weighty word but the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, your workers of lawlessness. Strong words. That can be confusing as we look at that and, and we say, wow, these people, they claimed him as Lord, but yet he's saying, I didn't know you. That's because some appeared to be doing the work of the Lord. You see, there were some who were looking like they were doing the work of the Lord. However, they did not do things God's way, and they did not do it by the power of His Spirit. They were doing it for their own gain. It was what they could get out of it. So they were trying to follow the rules on their own, trying to look religious, trying to claim Jesus as Lord over their life, but yet they weren't really living it. They weren't really obeying Him. They weren't allowing His Spirit in to flow out of them. And that's a very dangerous place to be. We must understand the weightiness of God's word and his commands. Jesus gives the commands and we, when we live our lives in him, believing in him and following him, then he enables us to follow. It is the Lord who gives us the ability to follow. And when Jesus is Lord, that means he's the one who determines our priorities. And we follow his priorities and his commands, not our desires and our wants. We don't do it for our personal gain. He's the one who makes the rules. He's the one who lays out the commands. He's the one that we answer to. Look at Philippians 1.6. Philippians 1.6 says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. You see, this is not, this is not a message about you needing to do and to obey a bunch of man-made rules and checklists in order to get to heaven. God is saying when you believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior, when you follow him, then he does the work in you. He saves you. This is about learning the priority of believing in, trusting in, and having faith in Jesus Christ and allowing him to do a work in us so that we live lives of obedience to his word. Paul's confidence is in the Lord, not in people. Only the Lord can 
can obey completely and can empower us to obey. So we pray fervently, we trust fully, we obey completely. Then the final non-negotiable that he has for us here is a church that grows spiritually. Growing spiritually. Verse 5, may the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. I think this is an interesting verse because again, Paul is expressing his confidence in the Lord to direct our hearts. And again, it's the Lord that's doing it. Where does the Lord direct our hearts? He says, when you believe in Jesus, when you follow Jesus, when you pray and you trust and you obey, the Lord directs our hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. Now that verse in the Amplified Version makes it a little clearer, gives a little bit extra um, explanation, says it this way, may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the steadfastness and patience of Christ. You see, here's what we're learning. When we pray fervently, when we trust fully in God, when we obey completely, empowered by His Holy Spirit that's living inside of us, then we grow spiritually. And our hearts are directed to the love of God and the patience of Christ. And I love that phrase because aren't you glad that God, the God of the universe, almighty God, loves you so much that he's been patient with you? I know I'm thankful for that. For the first 23 years of my life, I tried it my way. I tried to, to follow the rules. I tried to be good. I tried to be moral. I tried to hope that I did enough good to outweigh the bad. I was hoping that God would accept me, but God was lovingly patient with me. Once I finally figured it out and, and, and surrendered my life to Christ and began to allow His Spirit to, to edify me and to strengthen me and to sanctify, we learned that word last week, to make me holy through the process of sanctification over a period of my life. Once I, I got into that mode, God's still been lovingly patient with me because there's been many times that I've failed and I've given into temptations and I've fallen short of God's glory, but God has been lovingly patient with me as he continues to sanctify me and make me look more like Jesus as I go through the process of being disciplined, of being in his word, being disciplined of praying and praying fervently and trusting fully that he will do what he says he will do and trying to obey him completely by the power of his spirit that lives inside of me to empower me to obey and to desire to want to obey him and you see that's what happens when we are following him and his holy spirit comes inside of us and we're studying his word and we're praying fervently then what he does is he begins to give us his desires and we want to obey him we want to follow him because of the amazing sacrifice and the patience of god when we begin to understand how patient he's been with us then we desire to obey him more fully. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Don't miss the weightiness of that. God has been so patient with you. Christ has been steadfast in offering his gift of grace to you. God's desire is that all should reach repentance, and that's why He is patient. I pray you don't let this moment pass you by as if you're staring at a screen and missing the weightiness of what God has done and is doing for you. The God of the universe took on flesh in the form of Jesus and came, lived a perfect life, died on a cross as a perfect sacrifice, went to the grave to die in your place, 
Then he overpowered death, resurrected from the grave, sits at the right hand of God Almighty and is accessible to us. He made the throne of God accessible to us so that we don't have to stare at a screen or see an image of who God is. We can be in the very presence of God. And his desire is that we would put down all the things of this world and we would understand the weightiness and the importance and the power of spending time with him being in his presence. And we can do that when we're praying, when we're trusting, when we're obeying, and when we're growing. You see, today the gospel has been proclaimed and honored. You've been prayed for as you came in here today. Will you trust him fully today? Will you believe in him and accept Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life today? Will you begin to obey him completely today, empowered by the Holy Spirit? Because that is the path to growing spiritually. And I believe you're here today because you desire to grow spiritually. My prayer is that this sermon weighs heavy on your heart. My prayer is that you will take action. So would you stand with me now, holding that Bible in your hand, feeling the weight of God's word in your hand. And if you felt God today impressing, weighing on your heart, I just want to open the altar and let you know that this is a time where you can come forward and you can bow at the altar and you can say, God, I, I'm sorry that I've been, I've been, distant from you i've been looking at you but as though i'm looking at you through a screen on a phone i want to put that down and i want to spend time with you in relationship with you and i want to pray and and talk with you i want to trust you god in your promises i want to obey you empowered by your holy spirit and i want to grow spiritually you can do that today and you can come and you can bow at the altar and say god i i just want to follow jesus with my life and we celebrate that with you today Others of you, maybe you've already accepted Christ, but you just want to come and you just want to say, God, I haven't been trusting you fully. I've been praying, but I've been doubting. Maybe you just need to come to the altar and say, God, I'm just going to give my trust over to you today. I trust that you are good. I trust that you love me. And I trust that you have promises for me. Maybe others of you have had struggles in obeying. And you need to come to the altar and just say, God, I've just struggled obeying because I've been trying to my own strength and I, and I tend to fall. God, I'm going to allow your spirit to strengthen me. God, would your spirit help me to obey? Would your spirit empower me to obey? Would your spirit strengthen me and desire to obey you because of what you've done for me? And others of you, maybe you just need to come to the altar and say, God, I just want to grow spiritually. Help me to do that. We open the altar as we begin to worship. And it's, it's a step of faith for us. It's a step of faith where we're wading out into the unknown. And we're asking God to do something in our lives. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful, Lord. Grateful that you love us so much. God, your love is amazing. And you love us so much that you sent Jesus for us. And you've made Jesus available to us. That, that we, through Jesus, can come to your throne and we can speak to you. We can spend time with you. And some of us confess that we don't know how to pray. But God, help us know that it's just a matter of us surrendering, coming to you, and asking you for help. Would you show us how to pray? Would you help us to trust you, Lord? We know that you made promises in your word. And God, as we come now and we pray before you, we trust you that you will ground us. You will guard us. You will give us strength by your spirit to obey your word. And that you will grow us spiritually. So Father, as we take those steps of faith today, we trust in you, our mighty God. We trust in the beautiful and powerful name of Jesus who brings us hope. And we worship you now.
as we bow before you in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the Forward Church Weekly Podcast. We hope you'll join us next week as Lead Pastor Neil Krause continues in the series, Church Hunters. For more information about forward, giving, or to request prayer, visit www.forwardchurchfamily.com.